Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates and paint and troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. We are obviously still fairly deep in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic that is impacting all of our lives. Uh, the uncertainty of it all is perhaps, well, for me at least, the most annoying part. Uh, and I think that most people recognize that at some point we will certainly get past all of this and then there will be lots and lots of questions about what the world looks like post-pandemic. Uh, and Right now, about the only thing that people can say is that technology is going to play a major role. Uh, we've already seen what a big and important role technology is playing in our lives to make it through the pandemic, whether it's you know just the, the basic tools for online meetings or just the fact that so many of us are now working from home thanks to various technologies. Uh, and we're seeing some big shifts elsewhere as well. Uh, for example, telemedicine, which has been talked about for ages, uh, but the pandemic suddenly shocked the system into making it widespread and making it a reality uh, rather than just something that people predicted would happen one day. Uh, so today on the podcast, we have Julie Samuels, uh, the executive director of Tech NYC, uh, who we've had on the podcast a few times in the past as well. And she is here to talk about the role that tech will play in any recovery. So Julie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's start by noting that you are in New York City itself, uh, which was the first real sort of US hotspot during the pandemic. So uh, how have you been doing <laughs> the past few months? Yeah, I'm, obviously, it's, it's a surreal and, and difficult time. I mean, personally, I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, my family is healthy. Um, my partner and I were both able to transition to work from home. We both have jobs, you know, in, in light of everything that is going on, um, we're doing great, but it's, it's an unbelievable time to be alive, frankly. Right. And, and we have young children and I think there are so many challenges that come with parenting right now. Uh, obviously yes. all the logistical ones, but, but so many challenges, uh, emotional as well. Um, you know, for everyone, but, but, you know, I think uniquely for parenting too, how, how, how you explain this to your kids, um, how you understand or try and guess what the future is going to look like. You know, we don't even know what schooling is going to look like. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm fine and I feel really lucky to be fine. So many people frankly aren't, um, but it's, it's tough. Uh, I also, I'd say one other thing, which we'll talk about, but the work I do here in New York um, has been really gratifying. We've we've been able to really plug in and help the city and the state in, in very real and meaningful ways. And I feel incredibly lucky to have that kind of um, that kind of work that, that does feel meaningful uh, right now. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been sort of interesting, right? Because in such a, a crazy time where we're sort of living in in this constant crisis, you know, it's it's sort of natural to want to do something to help and and trying to figure out if 
whatever it is that we're working on is actually meaningful <laughs> for, for this particular moment. Um, so I, let's let's dive in there and let's talk about that a little bit, you know, about some of the, the tech things that have been happening during the pandemic. I mean, you know, I think everybody immediately says like Zoom, you know, right? Like right. Uh, right. That, that's been so, so important, but I think that's almost become a little cliched and almost a little annoying <laughs> at this point. But uh you know what? What else? I totally is... agree. And I also just I want to go back to that for a second because I saw um, someone joking on the internet this weekend about someone was like, "Thank God there are no more Zoom happy hours," which right. I kind of thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, but I think that's to me this is so interesting. Um, it's something you and I have talked about earlier today and before, which is you know adoption of technologies and and when things feel new, it's all we talk about, and then right. when they become just so ingrained and intertwined in our lives, we kind of stop talking about them and get annoyed. But but if you take a step back and really think about the adoption of um, video conferencing, mm -hmm. both in the workplace, but also also personally, uh, it's been amazing. It's really it's really amazing. And I think that the fact that we all feel a little bit annoyed talking about it really speaks <laughs> to the fact that the adoption has been so widespread and uh, I think, you know, one day we'll, we'll kind of look back and realize that. But when you think, of, I think, more broadly about the role technology is playing in this moment, or I should say, I guess, consumer technologies um, right. in particular, it's uh, there's, of course, like you said, obviously, the, the kind of video conferencing piece. But there is so much we see beyond that that helps uh, particularly, I mean, I'll talk about New York, but particularly in cities. Um, and a lot mm -hmm. of it, which is so interesting to me, isn't necessarily particularly new or complicated technologies. But at the beginning of the crisis, you know, in April in New York, when it, we were at the apex and it was a really scary time here, um, all of these technology companies, particularly the logistics ones, the ride sharing companies, the food mm -hmm. delivering companies who knew how to move things around, we were able to deploy that technology in partnership with the city, with the state to, for instance, get meals to senior citizens who normally the city provides tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of free meals to seniors, but they congregate. So the city at the beginning was wondering, well, how are we going to get all these people their food if they can't meet up together? And the kind of logistical technology that some of these companies had was really able to solve for that. Uh, this was also true. We worked with, for instance, uh, CUNY, the City University of New York. They had to get laptops to students hmm. all over New York at the beginning. Right. Uh, they were able to source the laptops, but then how do you get the laptops to the people who need them? Um, and again, you know, we were able to work with companies um, to kind of help fill that role. This, you know, logistics technology is complicated, but it's surely not new thinking about how Uber and Lyft, for instance, have been moving people around New York City for years at this point isn't new, but it, it really had a new meaning in that moment, um, which was really satisfying. I mean, it felt really good. To, uh, even half the time, it was just making connections, introducing, introducing companies to local government people. Um, telehealth is obviously a really big one here, too. Um, I think we'll really see the adoption of telehealth at much broader scale than we were seeing pre-pandemic. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of people are realizing that 
that telehealth is in many instances a good substitute, a better substitute than sitting in the office. Um, so I'm super interested to see how that plays out. Here in New York, um, the governor uh, at the beginning temporarily removed a regulation that did not allow for doctors to practice across state lines, which really opened the doors for telehealth for New Yorkers. Um, that has been extended. It's not clear if that will be made permanent or not. I, mm. I hope it is. Um, but, you know, some. I'm hoping that in these moments, too, some of the restrictions that have stood in the way for obvious progress uh, might might be lifted because we'll we'll realize that it makes sense to do so. Yeah. I mean, the, the telehealth thing has been really kind of fascinating to me, right? I mean, just how quickly that shift, you know, came about, obviously for, for, for out of necessity. Um, but it's kind of amazing, like, uh, you know, how, how, how frequently people talked about it in the past and yet, you know, nobody was doing it for whatever reason, sometimes regulatory, sometimes just, you know, out of, you know, momentum of the way, you know, the way we've always gone to the doctor. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, at the flip flip of a switch, it was, it was not hard to make that shift because all of the technology was there. And it was just that right. we, we weren't really using it before for this purpose. And then suddenly we, we, we needed to, and we could. And I, I think that's, it's such an amazing story just in the sense of, you know, the fact that we had built up all of this infrastructure without even recognizing it, right? You know, it wasn't like we right. built up a, a telehealth infrastructure specifically for this, but we had this general technology that was out there that was able to be repurposed into telehealth, you know, at, you know, in an instant when it was necessary. I think that's, that's it's quite a story. It's fascinating. Yeah, and I think one of the things about that that's interesting to me too is the language we use to talk about these things, I think is part of, part of what makes adoption harder. Like telehealth, it sounds really wonky and weird, right. but if you actually explain what it is in concept, like maybe you just do a quick video conference with your doctor before you decide whether you need to go in or not. Right. You know, that, that doesn't sound um, crazy. Right. Uh, right. That in fact sounds totally normal, but that's, you know, that's a big part of what telehealth is. Um, and I think we scare people away. There's another term I, I, that is really relevant to this time that I also realized was a funny term to use, which is connectivity. You know, people in our world talk about connectivity all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think unless you kind of live in this tech world or political world, a lot of people don't even know what you're talking about. Right. Someone actually recently asked me why we even pronounce it like that instead of connectivity. I, I can't quite even say it, but it's like we accidentally put the accent on a syllable that maybe doesn't even make sense. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I just think this is such an interesting moment because people, so many people are, you know, relying on some of these technologies um, for the first time, in, in, you know, in a fundamental way, you know, you need good, good access to internet, not just to like text with your friends or watch TV, but to go to school or to work from home. And if you don't have it, it's a real problem. So it really raises, it, it raises the, um, it, it raises the profile of these issues that a lot of us have been talking about for years and years and years, which is interesting. Yeah, no, I think like the, the, the talk about the digital divide, for example, you know, is something that, you know, seemed theoretically important 
in the past and was important in the past, but it's really driven home when like the only way that you can work or attend school or do anything <laughs> is via the internet these days. Right. Uh, and so having that uh, has become so, so important. Um, I'm not sure how much, you know, how much we've seen political will change on that front. Um, that would be, be nice to see. There's, I think, you know, frankly, this is, you know, me editorializing, but I, I feel like there's been a lot of lip service to that yeah. and not enough reality in terms of really attacking the digital divide and really making, you know, true broadband access available to, to everyone because it's, it's become so fundamental, uh, you know, especially now. And it's just so evident now. And I, I you know, I don't know. I honestly, you know, can't imagine how people are dealing with it if they don't have, no. You know, I, I have I have terrible internet access in the middle of Silicon Valley right now, but you know, at least I have something. You know, but but you have um, terrible internet access. I I do. It's a it's a long and horrible story, uh, and I am uh, within the next few months. In in theory, I should have good internet access, but we, we will see. It is being installed. Yeah. I've seen trucks in my neighborhood. <laughs> And I'm I know, so excited about is, that. <laughs> I really hope we don't miss this opportunity. I think what you're talking about is, is crucial. And I hope that because, I mean, my fear is that there's so, so much that our country that, you know, here in New York, our city and state, but nationwide, worldwide, so many um, things that need to be fixed uh, yeah. now. And there, there were so many before the pandemic. And quite frankly, the pandemic has, has laid many of them bare. Um and I really hope that we do not miss the opportunity, um, you know, and in, in so many ways, like maybe one of the silver linings is that we are able to really explain why we care about ensuring that people have good Internet access. You know, maybe yeah. we're able to articulate that better in a way that that more policymakers will understand now. Yeah, I, mean, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I, I don't know. I'm, the, the, those fights have been so brutal <laughs> and, and so crazy. I don't, I don't know. But um, so so let's 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 move on a little bit to to um, thinking about about uh, uh, potential uh, theoretical recovery uh, and what that looks like and kind of what the yeah. role of technology should be in the in the recovery process, not just in the living through the pandemic process. Yeah, I think this is really important. So there's really kind of there's a couple sides, at least two sides to this. And the first that I, I think uh, we kind of gloss over or take for granted is the economic development piece. And mm -hmm. I do think this is really important. You know, this is the kind of the, the jobs piece. Um, the what are the jobs of the future? Uh, where are the jobs of the future? What does opportunity look like? And from everything I know personally and from everything I read and talk to other people about technology is going to be, you know, the tip of that spear. Mm -hmm. And the companies who build technology are the ones who have been able to navigate uh, all of these crises our nation is facing um, better than most other industries, uh, than in most other industries. And I think it's it's really important to recognize that and to figure out um, how we ensure this is something that we have not done a good job of in this country you know, which is an understatement, but how to ensure that um, all Americans, all kinds of Americans are getting access to the training that one day they too can have careers 
in this fast growing field. We've done a lot of work on that issue here in New York. Um, and then, you know, this is a great example. There's one program this summer. Um, there, every year, New York City has a huge summer youth employment program, it's called, where tens of thousands of um, youth, because they're high school students and sometimes a little bit older, take part in this training program where they have jobs at organizations and companies all over the city and they get paid. Um, and many of the families, you know, depend on this money uh, during the summer. Program almost got shut down at the beginning of the pandemic. They were able to find some funding to spin it back up, but to do it virtually, which was something that hadn't been done before. They were also able to, well, I should say we at Tech NYC worked with the program um, mm -hmm. and we have recruited about 100 tech companies to be part of it. And and this has been really great. And so now these these New York City youth are involved in the program. They're doing virtual. They're almost like internships. It's kind of project based learning. And it's mm -hmm. a short time frame. You know, it's only, I think, three weeks. Um, and they're getting paid for the work and they're getting it's, it's light. I mean, in three weeks, they're not learning, you know, how to code um, right. necessarily. But but they're getting access to these companies and people who work at these companies and they're doing projects with them. And it's really meaningful. And one of the things that is so meaningful about this, I think, is that this program historically didn't and the tech community didn't work together. Um, and what what I hope is going to come out of this is that these tech companies here in New York who have weathered this crisis better than many others are going to be more integrated into kind of the civic fabric here. They're going to be more um, bought into helping New Yorkers uh, become become part of our industry because that right. has to be that has to be the future. And you know, you're, there's a a lot written about how people are leaving cities and they're moving to the suburbs or small towns. I don't listen. I I don't really buy that. <laughs> I think you'll see some of that in the near term, but cities and all of the creativity that flows from cities, all of the kind of um, energy that flows from cities, that's not going to change. Yeah. Um, and so I, and, and actually you might've seen, there's big news here last week, uh, maybe two weeks ago, Facebook signed a huge new lease in New York city. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it really speaks to that. It speaks to the future of our cities, New York in particular, but I think you'll see this, um, you'll see this all over the country. And so, you know, to kind of come back around here, like, these companies are going to have to drive the economic growth of our country and, you know, pull us out of a recession or depression or whatever we're going to end up in. And right. it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that everyone has, you know, ha has access to that growth and that recovery, not just uh, the same people who've always worked in tech companies. That would be a real, real failure, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a couple of things on that one, you know, I, I, I also think the, the city, uh, that the narrative about people leaving cities is probably overblown. I mean, I'm sure that there are a bunch of people and there are a bunch of people probably, you know, but they're generally the people who, who moved to cities for work and, and didn't necessarily like cities. But I actually think that there will probably be plenty of people who are saying, well, you know, now living in a city might not be quite as expensive as it was before. So here is an opportunity, you know, once things settle down and once we're, we're sort of past this, here is a, a, a new opportunity to get into a city and to get all the benefits of, of living in a city as well. Um, but, and, but, you know, to that end too, here in New York, I mean, things have been great here recently. It was uh -huh. rough at the beginning, but it's been awesome. You know, I've been in the city the whole time. 
with my whole family. We're able to go to the parks. Um, the playgrounds are open again. The restaurants are like spilling into the streets. Everyone's wearing masks. We go out for dinner with my family. We sit outside. You feel like you're in, you know, you feel like you're in, in Europe. You feel like you're in Paris almost. Except <laughs> it's obviously not Paris. And it's, it's amazing. And that kind of vibrancy, um, even during a pandemic, for people who want to be in a city, which I always do, you know, that kind of vibrancy is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's that's true. It'd be interesting. I mean, it might, it might be interesting to see how cities change. And, you know, um, it, it's obviously, depending on where you are, when it gets to be winter, it becomes tougher to, to eat outside and things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sort yeah. of curious to see how these things adapt and, and change over time. Um, this but is actually related to tech. Sorry, I have one more yeah. thing here that I'm really interested in with regard to exactly what you're talking about. One of the things definitely in New York, and this is true in, in a lot of major cities, is that there's always kind of been a couple uh, business centers. You know, mm -hmm. here it's, it's largely downtown or in pockets of Brooklyn where all the companies are. And even though people live all over New York, we all get on the subway and go to a small handful of neighborhoods every day for work. I think that perhaps that doesn't make sense anymore. And I think that mm. cities should really think about how to use their neighborhoods better. Imagine if instead of the kind of headquartered um, office model, you had more of almost like a hub and spoke model or distributed right. offices. Not that I don't think people are going to work remotely forever. I actually I think that's going to come with its own host of issues, not for everyone, but for some companies down the road. And I think you're still so you still might want people to all be in the same regional area, but maybe you have a small office by your house that you can mm -hmm. walk to or bike to or whatever. Um, and you can go to that office and it's, it's set up like, you know, almost like shared space, but maybe not. And then you have a place where you can go where you all need to get together. But all of a sudden now you're distributing office space across a much broader swath of the city. And that does a couple of things. Number one, it moves economic opportunity to different parts of the city. You'll see yep. coffee shops and restaurants and, you know, dry cleaners if we ever dress up again, though I doubt it. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, again, in New York, we did some Tech NYC did some research um, earlier this year, we put it out that really showed where opportunity was for New Yorkers who wanted to take advantage of workforce development programs mm -hmm. in technology. And it, the, the geographic diversity was perhaps not surprisingly not great. But imagine if you had like a small office in Queens by where more people lived, and you also had more kids growing up in Queens who wanted to learn about tech, like now you're talking, maybe you can give those, it's easier to give those kids exposure because they're geographically proximate. And you can really start to rethink how cities can flow because of technology, obviously, right. this could work. And I just think that's a really interesting framing, how you think about the future of cities. Yeah, yeah. And, and it could be, you know, just much more efficient allocation of of yeah. office space and, and how people work as well. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think we're going to, we're going to learn a lot. I think, you know, there, there's been all this, you know, focus now on sort of, you know, just pure remote work technology, but I think you're right that there will be interesting sort of hybrid approaches that come out of this and, and that people will start to leverage some of the technology that made working from home possible but when we yeah. when we're not forced to work from home right uh, all the time i yeah. actually found i never thought i would but i kind of like working from home some of the time yeah yeah there i mean are, it's i don't want to do it all the time but there are definite um <laughs> upsides to it um 
Yeah. It's not all bad. No, no, it's it's not. And it's interesting, I mean, because I, I've sort of bounced back and forth for, for many years in the, in the early years of, of Tech Dirt. I, I did work from home all the time. Uh, and then and then we got an office and it was actually difficult to 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 adjust to having an office <laughs> because uh-huh. I, you know, basically the whole team had been used to working from home. And then we, we you know, sort of started. So we actually we ended up uh you know, with, with office space that was too large for us because a bunch of people still kept working from home. <laughs> and then, so we sort of, that's interesting. Is it, um, I mean, the, the, in the time I've been a parent, there has never been a time during which being a parent felt so different, I think from not being a parent, which is to <laughs> say, um, if you have kids at home right now, your experience of the pandemic is very different yeah. from someone who doesn't have kids and both, you know, like any, I'm not, trying to pass judgment, both good and bad and complicated right. and messy ways, neither, whatever, but it's, it's very different. You know, my, my lived experience of this with two children, uh, under five is very different. Um, yeah. very yeah. different than someone who doesn't have that. And I think that also obviously matters when you think about working from home. Yeah, no, and, and but it's, it's, it's been interesting just to see how people adjust. I mean, I had joked fairly early on in the pandemic that like, you know, all of my my single friends or or parent you know uh, uh, childrenless uh, friends were talking about how they were you know discovering new TV shows and picking up new hobbies and all this kind of stuff and all of my friends who were parents were just like how am I going to make it through another week yeah. <laughs> it was a, TV what's that right yeah it was well, a, we've gotten a, into a rhythm here I mean yeah yeah I think. Like with many things, I mean, this is something else we talked about earlier that I think we would be kind of nice to flesh out now. It's we've learned in so many ways. You know, you and I talked earlier about mm-hmm. uh, the the adoption of technology and yeah. how technology, uh, new technologies, has has made living life in the time of a global uh, pandemic much easier in so many for many people in so many ways. Um, and I think that's great. And I I, I feel. Um, really happy about that, you know, and I think that that human, like, I, I don't mean to sound trite, but I do feel like humankind is better off because of a lot of consumer technologies. Can you imagine if this had been 10, even five years ago? Yeah, it would have been much more isolating and much harder. And I think that, you know, we don't even really recognize that, which again, oh, yeah. is a, almost a compliment to the technologies. But yeah. the but there's a big but is okay. I think we've also learned a lot of the limits of technology. Um, and that to me is so, so interesting. Um, you know, the, the primary example that comes to mind is, uh, school is e-learning. Um, and we'll see what, obviously we're recording this on August 17th. Um, kids are gearing up to start school in person, not in person, hybrid, whatever your district is doing, um, in the next few weeks. Um, but any of us who have kids, in school and who lived through the spring know <laughs> that, you know, digital learning is actually, there is no way it is a substitute for in-person learning. Right. I don't care how good the technology is. I mean, that is an inherent limitation of what we think of as technology. And that I think is really important for people to learn too. You know, it's not all magic. Right. Um, 
And I think that's I think that's something that's really interesting uh, that I'm watching closely as it plays out. Yeah, no, it's it's actually really fascinating, and and you know at some point probably do a whole podcast just just looking at that space um, because I, I mean you know you have you have both of the points that that you're making there, which is like if this had happened you know even five years ago, let alone ten or fifteen or twenty years ago, you know distance learning itself would have been a very very different experience. Um, and so it's amazing what they've been able to accomplish. And, and, you know, you know, certainly as a parent, I've learned all about a whole bunch of different platforms <laughs> that, that our schools, you know, spun up uh, and were able to, to use. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know how, how your schools in New York handle this, but, you know, when we shut down here, you know, our school, uh, you know, officially shut down on a Friday and basically said, you know, yeah. early next week, you know, they sort of sent home some, some, you know, worksheets effectively, you know, have your kids work on this, uh, give us three days to figure stuff out. And by Wednesday, they had launched an entire distance learning portal, uh, you know, and it, it wasn't perfect, obviously, but like the fact that they spent, you know, the school district was able to put together, uh, you know, a portal that allowed them to set up all these sort of distance learning tools. And they pulled in, pulled in a bunch of, um, you know, different products that were out there. And it was a little bit of a mess at times. And it was mm -hmm. like, we're using like three different kinds of distance learning tools. And when are we supposed to be in this platform versus that platform? And the communication got a little messed up. But, you know, and so I think both of those things are true. Like the fact that it, we were able, you know, again, like the, the telehealth stuff, the fact that we were able to just switch to something rather than, than nothing was incredibly impressive, but at the same time, you know, it became very clear very quickly that this was, you know, very, very limited and not at all like the in-person experience, um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see as we start up school again, you know, now this fall, you know, how that's going to change. I know at least, you know, the school district here has spent most of the summer trying to figure out yeah. like, how can we, you know, how can we do a better job with distance learning? And so I think it'll be different in the coming weeks. And I'm sort of interested to see how, how that goes, but it will still not be a replacement for, for in-classroom learning. No, especially all, I mean, all the social dynamics. That, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's like obviously kids learn in school. Right. Yeah. But that's, I mean, yeah, yeah. That stuff is, is, is con I mean, it's, it's, this is like the hairiest, messiest. I mean, there's so many problems yes. right now, but you know, this one is also so front of mind for so many people. Um, and, and the implications about how you work when you have kids, what if you have a job out of the house and your kids need to be schooled at home? I mean, this is a place where the limits of technology are clear. And at, at it's, I'm glad, I'm thankful for that. As someone who, you know, spends her entire professional career talking about the promise of technology. I'm also thankful for a real and honest conversation about the limits of new technologies. Um, I think it's a really meaningful and important yeah. part of this that actually informs a lot of the other larger political debates. And this is something you talk about all the time, but you know, technology is in many cases, it's, it's of the platform layer and understanding mm -hmm. that I, I think what you're seeing happen with schooling and that dynamic um, that in many instances, uh, technology is is just. Can you hear me? Yeah. Still. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I think I might be about to lose power in my headphones. Um. <laughs> that in many cases, you know, technology is just amplifying what exists below. Um. Is, you know, it's a, it's a similar dynamic, and I think it's important for us to remember that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, and hopefully it's, you know, this is the kind of thing that inspires new technologies and new innovations that people figure out what are the limitations and are there ways around them and, and what sort of creative things are going to come out of this. And I'm sort of looking forward to that. I mean, it's it's been interesting to see, you know, all these platforms that we're talking about that were things that, uh, you know, involved technologies that were already existing, but maybe not being used as widely and suddenly being adopted. But now I think we're, we're going to inspire a bunch of interesting innovations that say, oh, yeah. hey, you know, let's let's do something different. And so I'm, I'm really kind of interested to see what sort of creativity comes out of this this particular, you know, crisis. I'm totally with you on that. The other thing, you know, that we haven't talked about and it's probably a whole other podcast unto itself is is how we use technology to actually get us out of the, the immediate crisis with regard to COVID, um, yeah. you know, and, and what that looks like. Um, there's obviously the whole, whole uh, medical side of that. There's a lot of patent policy, which, you know, I love yes. and all that as we look toward a vaccine and other therapies. There's, um, you know, the contact tracing element, whether it be an app or whether it even, you know, be phone calls There's still a whole technology piece there. That's so important. And I think, you know, again, probably a whole other podcast onto itself, but um, that's a huge piece of this puzzle. And it's all so intertwined like if we're able to deploy technology effectively efficiently responsibly to um actually either cure or or whatever you know curb the underlying coronavirus then you know our kids can go back to school and and then all of this other stuff um you know people might still work from home a little bit more and all this other technology you and i've talked about for the past 30 minutes still matters but I mean, that's what we should be working toward. You know, I don't, we talk about how technology has made these moments easier, but no one wants to live this version of the world. Yeah. Um, right. We want these technologies to be supplemental um, and to be able to go back to, um, you know, not wearing a mask outside, getting on, touching things outside, you know, just go back right. to life how we lived it before, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anything we're, we're claiming like, you know, this is the world we, we want to live in, <laughs> you know, um, but it is, you know, one of the things that I have noticed too, was like, um, you know, I had written something about this a few weeks ago talking about, you know, the fact that in some ways the technology has allowed us to, to, you know, I- increase at least, you know, social contact in some way. And that, you know, while we're all locked at home, I've had, you know, we joked earlier about the, the Zoom happy hours, but I've, I've like, I got together with my roommates from college who I haven't seen in 15 years and haven't actually honestly really talked to as a group in probably 15 years. And we just, you know, spent a couple hours on a Zoom call a few weeks ago. Um, and that was, that was amazing. And we've done that with like, you know, family gatherings as well. Um, just all of these things that have, you know, sort of given us, you know, a, a perspective, I guess, and the ability to to communicate. And, you know, I saw there was a doctor who said, like, he didn't like the the term social distancing, because it implied like that you wanted to stay away from people socially. Uh, And he was saying, you know, it really should be 
you know, physical distancing, physical. but you need the social aspect of, of life. And, and that is one thing that technology has enabled. Yeah. Um, I really like that framing. And I, yeah. I too have, that has largely been, you know, much of my experience and I think so many people's as well. Yeah. Um, as far as but, silver linings are concerned, I guess. Yeah. But I do wonder just to, to sort of, you know, wrap up the conversation a little bit, like, you know, you mentioned things like, you know, patent laws and, and different regulations. And I do wonder if this will change, you know, earlier you mentioned like New York getting rid of the the limitation on, on you know, uh, overstate borders, allowing doctors to practice. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if this will change other debates as well. And I know, yeah. you know, we've talked a little bit uh, about like the privacy debate and, yeah. you know, how do, do things change? You know, it's it's one thing to say like, um, you know, and I, I've been arguing for years that the, the privacy debate is often misunderstood because everybody, what they mean by privacy is always something entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> and when yeah. you, when you drill down, people have a very different sense of what, what privacy actually means. Um, mm -hmm. and my argument, and nobody seems to agree with me on this, but, but like my argument is that privacy is always about trade-offs and that, you know, like going out to to buy groceries is a privacy risk in the sense that people can see you outside and can see what you're buying and you know have a sense of who you are but for most people uh, that trade-off is entirely worth it because nobody cares what right. you know that you're going shopping for groceries or what you're buying but in some cases that the 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 balance of that trade-off could be different if you're a celebrity it becomes a lot more difficult to to do that for example um but, you know, I think the same thing is true now that we're talking about privacy in, in a pandemic. Suddenly the questions become different. And there have been these debates around like contact tracing and, you know, what are the privacy questions there? And if you have technology like like contact tracing apps, um, you know, is are there privacy concerns there? Yes, I think there are. But if contact tracing apps can, uh, you know, cause many fewer people to die, is that a trade-off that we're worth you know, that, that we're willing to make. Uh, I think, I think a lot of questions are suddenly opened up by this. I totally agree. Um, and I largely agree with your entire framing too. I do agree with you on a lot of this. I think, you know, I think one of the, the big mistakes the broader tech industry has made was not explaining the bargain um, right. for so long. And I, I think that's how we ended up here um, in many ways. And, and I think you, I think you really kind of, you nailed it, um, which is to say that, well, I hope, I mean, I hope you, what you just said is the way we think about it. Um, I know that a lot of states are thinking about contact tracing apps. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Virginia's is out and others will be soon. And I know that they're thinking hard about privacy. And I know a lot of the state legislatures are thinking hard about oversight, um, you know, how to appropriately anonymize the data, how to make sure it doesn't sit around on a server any longer than it needs to, kind of pretty basic stuff, because obviously health data is, is Yes. really sensitive data. But again, it, we're talking about saving lives. Um, yeah. You know, that is a really important conversation. And I hope that we don't kind of go back into our usual camps on this and become dismissive um, of, of efforts to literally save lives or get kids into schools um, or, you know, get, get our society back yeah. up and running. I and think that technology can help us do that. Yeah. 
and 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 to be clear i'm not i'm not being dismissive of privacy itself i think it is important to have that as a key part of the conversation but i think that we need to understand what the different trade-offs are and how we're doing this and can we build these technologies you know in a way that that recognizes that there are privacy concerns but that we don't you know just sort of wipe out an entire category or an entire concept just because of you know a, a theoretical privacy concern, and I think you're right. The point that you you mentioned in there that you know the way you deal with that often is transparency and 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 choice. Frankly, right? I mean, letting people know what is happening and why and how it's being used and for how long is it being stored and who has access to it and giving people the option um, and giving giving the users control over it. And I think in those cases, you will have many people opt into these kinds of things because they recognize that the trade-off is worth it. You know, the problem is when, when they're going in blind and they don't know, and then that data is somehow abused or, or treated badly, and then they, then they react poorly. <laughs> and I think to your, I, I think, well, I think that's exactly right. And to your larger point about other regulations that we might take a fresh look at, mm -hmm. um, I really do think that we might see that, you know, it obviously depends how long the pandemic goes. And I think what the economic fallout is. So, sure. you know, how, because it will really change how, how much attention policymakers are paying, how much attention they're paying. Um, but something that I also think is so interesting is, is how, of course, the election plays in this. And, and I hesitate to make predictions <laughs> of, of any sort. I obviously have very strong feelings like most people on the election and hope very much it goes a certain way. Um, and to the extent we maybe might see a, a change of leadership at our, in Washington, DC. Very um, diplomatic of you. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, I don't even know why I'm trying, I, but I'm trying. Um, you know, I, listen, I think some, there will be, if there is a new president in the White House, if the mm -hmm. Democrats have control of the Senate, there will be energy to do things. Right. Um, I think that that's true when parties change who's in power in a normal circumstance. And it, clearly this is not a normal circumstance at all. Um, right. And so if we've got uh, changes in the halls of power, I think that and there's still a global pandemic going on. And I think you will see things change. I think you'll see all kinds of things change. And I think it'll be incredibly interesting. And I think that people who think about this stuff in a policy point of view or from a political point of view, you know, myself included, should be spending time getting ready for that, um, yeah. you know, time getting ready for that moment because it's going to, it's going to be quick. Um, yes. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that, we'll see how that plays itself out. I, yeah. I am less optimistic if we don't get a change in DC, <laughs> but then honestly, if that's true, there's a lot I'm less optimistic about. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and you you would not be alone in that viewpoint. No. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, of course, when when there is also rapid change, there's there's always a fear of, you know, it could could go in a in a weird and not necessarily great direction too. And I've certainly seen some policy proposals come out uh, recently that I've been sort of aghast at. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, from, from you know, we mentioned patents a little bit, and we don't have to go deep into into that, but. Uh, you know, I've seen some people pushing for like, we need even longer patent terms and, and more stringent patent terms to in order to incentivize, you know, companies to make vaccines or whatever, which is crazy, because we see everybody is trying to make vaccines, because saving yes. the world is kind of important. And you'll do fine. If you save the world, you don't need, you know, 
30 years of protection for that. But, you know, we see we see those proposals come out uh, and, you know, who knows, who knows. So it, it'll be, you know, there will be important, important battles to fight, uh, you know, depending on what what happens in November and, and, and forward from there. Yeah, I don't November, probably December. <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And one yeah. other, I mean, I'm sure in other conversations, all the. All the voting stuff and, and the role technology is going to play there too, and how we think about voting and technology. I mean, yeah. obviously, all for another day, but also so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a lot going on, and I, you know, I think I'd I'd meant to raise this earlier in in the discussion, but I think it's a good point to sort of close out on. You know, is you know, we we talk about technology and we talk about the technology industry, and I think you know one of the things that's becoming clear right now is that. You know, it's it's almost weird to talk about the technology industry because every industry has has some element of technology now, uh, and and so everything is the tech industry. And thinking mm-hmm. of it as a separate industry is is maybe not as useful as it used to be. Yeah, I talk and think about that so much. It's so important in the context of cities and how we think about the growth of cities and and workforce development and jobs. You know, it sounds trite, but it's totally true. Every company is a tech company or needs to be a tech company. And that's a really, um, it's a really interesting dynamic from a policy and political perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, on that note, uh, I think we will, we will close this out. Thanks Uh, for having me. I could sit and talk to you forever about this stuff. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And it is great to, to talk to you again. It's, it has been a while. We will, we will, uh, have you back on the podcast more often. We should. I would look uh, forward to that. And uh, good luck. Maybe next everything. we'll do contact tracing. Yes, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, me. yeah, I think that's super interesting. Okay. It is, it is, it is. But yeah. uh, anyways, uh, thank, thanks again. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week. Someone will get. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.